what phone numbers can it track down? What email addresses or IP addresses? Credit card information? Bitcoin addresses? Street address? Wow. It's trying to get Spooky. everything. Yeah, very scary, right? Uh, but and, it, and this might look like a lot of code. I know regular expressions can be kind of hard to read. But I want to at least surface, surface this idea to you. They might do some pretty sketchy stuff. Hey everyone, it's David Bumble back with John. John's going to show us some really interesting stuff today. Um, I don't want to spoil it, John, so you take it away. Hey there, David. Thanks again for letting me come be here with you. I'm super excited about this one. That's great to have you here. So what are you going to show us? Well, hey, uh, in the last couple of videos, I think we were chatting about Capture the Flag, yep. which is an awesome vehicle and vessel to learn and get started uh, within cybersecurity, maybe kickstart your career if you're interested in that. But I think some folks divide in their mind what you can do with this, whether it's just strictly, uh, okay, red team pen testing, adversarial emulation, threat emulation, or blue team defense, and, and strictly that, maybe manning a SOC yeah. or a security operations center. So there's so much out there. <laughs> uh, one thing that I tend to do for my day job personally um, is kind of working as a malware analyst. So understanding how the hackers and how the bad guys and the attackers get onto your computer, get onto the target system, and how do they stay there? How do they remain undetected? What are their persistent footholds or the implants or the back door that they use to continue their operations? So I think we can maybe have a cool conversation about some uh, some malware analysis and some stuff I'd like to showcase there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you were telling me previously, I mean, you're well known in the industry for CTFs. I mean, you do a great job going through CTFs. But I mean, in your day job, you actually do malware analysis. Is that right? It is, yes. So um, let's, ex let's explain, from, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. From the very beginning, what is that actually? Yeah, so there are a lot of, honestly, different ways you could go about it. Um, some folks, and, and maybe I'll get some, maybe I'll get some flack for this. Uh, <laughs> some folks are strictly in a compiled computer program or the binary itself. So they, they'll open it up in tools like Ghidra or Ida Pro or other debuggers and disassemblers. Uh, and they'll kind of comb through the weeds, really looking at the assembly instructions or the computer opcodes that make that program do what it does. And that's, tough. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like that, that's hardcore work, kind of looking through assembly opcodes and understanding how that machine language is, is kind of worked through. Uh, truthfully, and I'll be honest, I don't do that as much. Uh, I'm not too sharp in that world and I certainly need to get smarter. Uh, but the way I see most often how hackers kind of maintain their persistence and they slide under the radar because they have to combat against yeah. like antivirus programs and EDR, all the other defensive mechanisms we put in place. So they have to get crafty and pretty clever. So they might use obfuscation, uh, hiding their code, or they might use live off the land techniques, even if it's just using a simple scripting language where the code is readable by us humans, but it's mangled and transformed and presented in a different way that can be really hard to understand. So Having the human context, like us as security folks actually taking a look at it, that's what's super important because we might see 
what the computer, the automated solution might miss. That's interesting. So, I mean, it's, um, there's all this talk about AI and stuff, but it's, you're saying that there's still a very important role that humans take in this stuff. I would say so. I haven't drank the (laughs) Kool-Aid on artificial (laughs) intelligence and, and machine learning just yet. Don't get me wrong. There is absolutely a need for that. There's certainly, it's, it's imperative to have automation and some of that tooling in your security stack, but having that like parachute, having, having that last escape like plan here, uh, don't forget to let a real security person kind of look through it with their own eyeballs. Uh, they'll have the context and understanding and maybe they'll find something else. And that's how you get threat intelligence. That's how you determine indicators of compromise. That's how you understand what's shaken up the security landscape. So tell me, I mean, this is a question I'm sure a lot of people are going to be thinking about. How do I get to where you are? So do you have like a, sorry, I always ask this question. So is there like a path that you would recommend or a, like, what do I, what do I need to study? Are there certs? Are there CTFs? How do I get to where you are if I want to, you know, do malware analysis? For sure. Uh, I, I always go back to it. But man, I, I really think those capture the flag challenges, they'll give you the exposure. They'll get you so familiar with other languages and the technology you might see. Uh, maybe more specifically uh, Windows, right? Uh, and maybe you'll have more exposure to that in a network administrator role or, or a sysadmin role, a system yeah. administrator role, because you're going to get used to being in the command line or, or scripting with PowerShell or Batch. And we see a lot of PowerShell, like a lot, a lot of PowerShell. Uh, those are certainly important. And I, I'm not positive. Maybe you, you might tell me a little bit more, David, uh, some other Microsoft or some other certifications that will really help fill those gaps. But you just get smart on this by playing with it, by experimenting. Uh, when I try to showcase malware analysis videos on my channel, it's different from a capture the flag because in a CTF, there's an objective goal. Yep. But for this sort of work in malware analysis, it's very exploratory. We're just kind of bumping around in the dark and trying to shine the light on as much as we can. So, I mean, in your in your day to day job, what do you, it sounds like most um, malware is on Windows systems, and that's perhaps because Windows is so dominant in the enterprise. Is that kind of right? Is that you see mainly Windows stuff? It is truthfully. Uh, so. I have to say with a little asterisk and disclaimer here, uh, for, for what I do for my day job, we focus solely right now on Windows machines. Okay. So Windows targets and Windows victims. Uh, we're in the works for rolling out a Mac agent, but uh, hey, I don't, I don't mean to turn this into a commercial. Um, there is absolutely <laughs> more malware and virus and rats and Trojans on Windows, as you mentioned, because it, it dominates the market space. It, it's all over the industry. But that's not to say there aren't any on Linux or Mac, uh, but it's just a different form, a different variation, and uh, not as prolific <laughs> as all the folks running Windows. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, it's uh, it's funny. When I talk to you and I talk to other people, it comes it always comes back to the same conversation. Do CTFs. Uh, go to you know Hack the Box or try Hack Me or something and spend time doing a whole bunch of CDFs. And I mean, I just want to, I want to plug you because it's important. If you want to see someone who knows what they're talking about doing CTFs, go to John's channel because he's got lots and lots of videos. You must have like a hundred videos or more just showing CTFs. Is that right? 
yes, I, I, I think I have like over a thousand on my channel, but maybe not strictly capture the flag. Uh, I am very flattered and I super appreciate all the kind words. I do have to say, hey, there are tons of people much smarter than me. I wouldn't be able to compete in like a DEF CON CTF <laughs> or do that low level binary exploitation. There are some real geniuses way, way more ahead of me, but I want to, I want to make it approachable. I want to make yeah. it friendly and I, and I want to make it something that anyone can explore and, and play with and learn from. And I mean, that's important, especially when you're starting out, because I mean, when you're starting out, you're not quite sure. So Pico CTF, we mentioned previously, I've got a previous video on my channel where John talked about that. John, I hope I can twist your arm sometime to do, you know, hack the box or try hack me examples, but otherwise just have a look on John's channel. He's got a huge amount of content there. So John, that's great. What about a practical demonstration? Is there a Ooh. example like perhaps solar winds or something that you can show us? We mentioned that off camera. Absolutely, yeah. So I have a ton that I can showcase. Um, I think what would be cool to do is I, if I can kind of get your feet wet, if I can yeah, wet your appetite great, yeah. on what some of these look like, um, and then maybe in a second video or however you'd like to organize it, we can dive into a little bit of, of solar winds. So. That'd be great, yeah. <laughs> let's show us, let's, because otherwise I'm gonna jump too far. Give us a baby step. So like, I assume that I and some, a lot of people watching have zero knowledge of this. So take us down the, the path. For sure. Uh, I will go ahead and share my screen. Okay, so here I am doing a little screen sharing just to showcase kind of what we can get into for a little practical demonstration. Uh, and I and I want to set the stage here. So I am running Windows 10 on my host computer. Um, I use Linux. I'm using Ubuntu in my virtual machine. You'll notice it has a, a little Kali background, but that's that's just for the clickbait. <laughs> I am running Ubuntu here, uh, and I have this this virtual machine set up with a little communication for my host machine or some other network share. So uh, because I use so many laptops, because I use this as my desktop computer, uh, I'll set up a network share for some of the files that are kind of important to me to access. Now you'll notice one of the fun ones in here is a malware folder. <laughs> so I, I, I keep track of my notes from things that I'm learning. I keep track of capture the flags that I play or other certifications that I'm studying. We talked a lot about it before. Yeah. Hey, build out your catalog, build out your library. And it's funny. Now I've, <laughs> now I've been collecting and building up a repertoire of even malware to, to look at. Whether it's for content, whether it's for stuff to showcase on YouTube or it's, it's just for learning and exploring what techniques and tradecraft some threat actors might be using. So we'll dive into this folder and I want to show you some of these cool ones just to, again, get your feet wet. I try to organize them by maybe the language that I know the thing is going to be written in or uncategorize. So we'll have a few samples and this is a, a growing list in some of those other designated folders, but the miscellaneous one is getting larger and larger as more people send things to me, as I see more things kind of going through <laughs> what I do. Uh, and it's very... It's cool. It's weird. It's like a little garden that we that we water and flower to to get exposure to new things. That's great. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that solar winds one. And um, like, <laughs> we'll do that in a like you say after we've we've got our feet wet. Yeah. So I I think I'll start by showcasing some Python one just because I know we uh, discussed a little bit of Pico, of, of Python in the previous Pico CTF video. Yeah. So I'll show you one script that is originally written 
very human readable because the malware author, the bad guy, whatever person who put this together had to write it. They had to write the code. And being Python, you'll know, hey, this isn't strictly on uh, already installed on Windows computers or the target, but it can certainly be compiled or compressed down. Uh, and you'll see a lot of other variations, whether it is in batch or Visual Basic script or PowerShell or C Sharp or a compiled binary, etc. So let me take a look at this code uh, and let's actually open it in my virtual machine so I'm not, you know, testing the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to run that. Yeah. Okay. I realize that's a little bit wonky. But uh, I want to take a look at this main working no obfuscation script uh, and just to get an idea as to what this looks like. Now, this might be spooky. This might be kind of scary for folks taking a look at it. But if you're familiar with the Python language, this should be readable. Uh, it, Python is meant to be very easy to read and easy to write. But you'll see functions defined in here to get credentials. And it might look in your local application data folder that's kind of configured on Windows computers. It'll keep track of the locations for Google Chrome or Opera browser or the Edge browser, Brave browser, et cetera. And it might try and track down if it can find a local database of cached information like your passwords or what your usernames might be. Uh, this is something similar to kind of what we showcased in, or what I've showcased in a, in a Discord token stealer or a, a Slack token stealer, where they might try to find your access controller for your account. Uh, and that, that will bypass two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication all on its own if they could get their hands on your user's token. And that's stored, of course, if you save it and cache it on your computer. So they might use regular expressions to track that down and they'll keep track of all this. There are tons and tons of this. This, this malware builds out, hey, trying to find download history and I'll, I'll cruise through here, or browser history. PII put together in regular expressions. What phone numbers can it track down? What email addresses or IP addresses? Credit card information? Bitcoin addresses? Street address? Wow. He's trying to get Spooky. everything. Yeah, very scary, right? Uh, but, and, it, and this might look like a lot of code. I know regular expressions can be kind of hard to read, but I want to at least surface, surface this idea to you. They might do some pretty sketchy stuff. And this code goes on and on. Uh, over on the right-hand side, you can see like the, the map of what Sublime Text might be looking in here. And it will track down your IP address. It'll try to see if you have a webcam attached. Can it take a screenshot? Will it look for your computer info? What CPU are you using? Maybe that could be used for deploying a cryptocurrency miner like Lemon Duck or lots of other variants, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I've so beaten this to it's, death. It's grabbing a bunch of stuff and then I'm assuming it's gonna do something with that. Is that right? Yeah, I think this one specifically is, is just for exfiltration. Uh, it is going to try and grab those Discord tokens. It is going to try and grab those other information and uh, like accounts and passwords. Keep in mind, even doing this, if it's not going to, okay, explicitly 
detonate and deploy ransomware or, or turn a computer into a, a member of a botnet or deface a website, even getting this information, that still means money for the bad guys because they could sell this out in the kind of the corners and crevices of the internet, right? The dark web, quote unquote. Yeah. You see, I see at the bottom, you've, you, it looks like you've commented it out. Like it looks like it's going to a, a nonfiles.com website or something. Yeah. Going and trying to upload things so that it's all accessible for the bad guys. Maybe, uh, maybe keeping track of these. Yeah. So it looks like, I mean, I mean, I haven't looked at the code very well, but I mean, it looks like it's trying to grab a bunch of stuff. And then if you ran this, it would push it to a website or something. Yeah. Yes. Now, I, I bring this up and I show this to you because some of you might say like, well, John, this is just totally in the clear. Like this is very obvious what's it's, what it's doing. You can yeah. just read it in the source code. And you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, because I mean, if you try and run, I've had a lot of people complain about this. I wrote like a, a simple um, Python key logger. And as soon as you run that, uh, Windows just deletes the file. <laughs> yeah. Because it sees it as malware. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Antivirus. Uh, and uh, th that's always a, a formidable foe. Windows Defender is certainly getting pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, are you, are, are you going to show us now how, you, how the bad guys, for lack of a better word, would take something like this and then try and hide that? Yeah. Yes. So uh, there was one other folder or, or one other file kind of in this folder that I wanted to showcase. They have an obfuscated rendition where if we take a look at this, it is completely intelligible. Like wow. there's no understanding of what the heck is going on. This is a very extreme example. Like this would certainly take me a hard time to understand what's happening. They've replaced every variable, every function name, every string with underscores or some weird mathematical way to kind of compute it. And look at, look at that sidebar. <laughs> there, there's no way to make sense of what this is doing. Again, super extreme example, but I want to show you that that idea of obfuscation, yeah. that just means making code, that means making the badness transformed or encoded or encrypted in a different way so that a computer and a human being might have a hard time understanding what the heck this thing's doing. So in your experience, do you find that... Um most of it looks like this kind of craziness or does it is there clear text or is it just a mismatch of all kinds of things? So it is super uh, variable. Oftentimes, uh, if a hacker is on a computer system, if a threat actor is kind of working their way in, they never want to touch disk or have remnants on the file system because then they leave themselves vulnerable or kind of uh, they leave themselves subject to that antivirus software stepping in or that EDR automated solution. When they touch disk, then they have a footprint, then they have an artifact and they've left their fingerprints there. Yeah. So oftentimes the, what they do end up dropping on the file system, if they do, is a very obfuscated little stub or kind of a stage one payload that might extract or pull out or maybe download a, a secondary stub or another payload and maybe that'll be obfuscated or encoded in some way and it'll work through layers and layers of different stages maybe going up to three or four or five or six <laughs> different bundled layers of the onion to really find the final payload and that final payload might be obfuscated or it might be in the clear kind of just as we saw a moment ago 
Uh, I'll show you a few other examples of this, if that's totally cool. No, of course. But, I mean, the, the question is, John, how on earth do you find this stuff? Yeah. So how do folks, and I, I have a lot of questions, like, hey, how, do, how can I find samples like this? Uh, truthfully, um, if you want to look around, there are a lot of online resources. Um, VX Underground is well-known. Uh, the Zoo is a GitHub repository that is, again, well-known. Uh, Malware Bazaar. I think it's like uh, abuse.ch or something. I, I could track down a link and send it along. Yeah, that'd be great. Malware, the Malware Bazaar is actually excellent because they'll let you download samples and they'll let you tinker and explore. And you'll find tons of online sites. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure if Joe's Sandbox or any run will let you download a sample off the top of my head. Uh, so Virus that, Total. Sorry, go on. Hmm? Go on. Vi Virus Total, um, if you know the hash of something and if you pay for the paid tier, which costs an arm and a leg, but some organizations and companies might be able to latch onto that. They'll let you download as well. Uh, and so that, that's for studying. Yeah. Sorry, go on. I keep, I keep no, interrupting. No, no, no. I, I realize I'm long-winded. <laughs> no, no, no. I like it. You might also just get a weird random text message, or you might get a totally arbitrary email that's just an advertisement that links to some weird sketchy site. Those are always fun to dive into as well. I, I've started this little game whenever my friends in the real world get one of those weird spam text messages or emails, they just send it along to me because like, hey, that, that'll be fun to look through. <laughs> so, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, so for studies, I'm glad you mentioned that. So for study purposes, there's a bunch of websites, which we'll, I'll link below where people can go to, uh, but be warned. <laughs> uh, I suppose we have to say, be warned. This is like stuff that you don't want to mess around with. Um, so be careful. Um, but how do you find this stuff in the real world? Is it like the antivirus picks it up or do you, does a company phone you or do you have like software on on companies like your, I mean, feel free to talk about your the company you work for. So um, is it like software that, that's installed that picks us up and warns you that there's something weird or, I mean, how did you get to that file? Yes, so uh, the example that I showcased just now was a community submitted one with some yep. that a viewer and audience member sent along. Um, the way that this sort of got started and this kind of gained momentum on, on my YouTube channel was me wanting to tie it closer to what I do for my day job, for my real work. Now, I, I work at a company called Huntress and Huntress is a managed threat detection company with, with software as a service or, or an agent that you install and deploy on your machine. And it, and it is that you can deploy it across as many machines as you want <laughs> to get the most visibility and, and coverage. It, and it is that, backup parachute. It's going to look and hunt in those known directories or locations on a computer's file system where hackers will leave their back door or that implant. They get their hooks and claws synced in there. Those are oftentimes simple startup programs. Like the same way, hey, your, your computer maybe might turn on in the morning and Skype will automatically open so you can work with your coworkers or, or Slack or Teams or whatever you tend to use to communicate. That has to know how to do that. So there's a location in Windows and maybe even in the registry or some WMI event consumers or services, scheduled tasks, anything that can automatically without user interaction pop up, that's where the hackers are gonna hide. So even the Microsoft utility from, from sysinternals, that auto runs tool will show you all of these. Uh, our agent is auto runs en masse, like deployed across an entire enterprise. So that's how we hunt and, and do this threat analysis. So I mean, that, that agent like will alert you. It looks like there's some dodgy code on the computer 
and then you you'll you'll investigate that is is, is that how the, the sort of the I'm just trying to work out the logic in the real world how do you how do you assume some one of the samples you got was a real world sample how do you actually end up getting to look at that code yes uh it it does require truthfully your own intervention it does require your own effort and initiative to like let me go let me go look like let me go make sure there's no weird code like a randomly named file with a dot visual basic script or a dot bat or powershell extension uh just to look just to see so your software will alert you to that or do you, do you yes. spend like time going around looking at computers or is yes. it just a combination of both yeah combination of both Re- really it is a, it is a synthesis and again i don't i don't mean to make to make this an advertisement for my job no, no, it, do, it, it doesn't matter i mean this is about real world so i mean sure. let's sure. use your company as the real world example so i mean feel free to talk about it talk about what you do because at the end of the day everyone watching this wants to become like you as in like perhaps they want to get a job in a company like that so i mean this is going to be a long series john i think because the next question i'm going to ask you is how do i get a job so like um start with ctfs that kind of thing and i'm jumping around now so so go for it explain what you do and then we can come to jobs and then look at more code sure thing so the i i mentioned it is a synthesis and i mentioned earlier yeah. that automation is absolutely necessary it is still imperative but it's not the end all be all so yes, we, we do get alerted kind of automatically. We have some triggers and flags set up for, for finding and seeing badness like this. Uh, we'll write detectors or something like, hey, if, it, if the persistence mechanism, if the file name, if the command line arguments, if they match this sort of, of pattern or this sort of tradecraft, uh, the certain schema <laughs> that a hacker might use and what they deploy and maybe mass spam across the internet. We'll use detectors to detect those faster. Um, then, of course, we do hunt, where we're actively looking, where we're just spot checking as many machines as we can, uh, and we kind of have it set up a little queue. Like here is a humongous pile or a bucket of auto runs, of persistence mechanisms, of new code or new files or new samples that we've never seen before. And they might be benign, they might be totally innocent, or they might, hey, maybe be some cause for concern. So it just takes the human action. It just takes you taking a look at it, like literally looking with your eyes and just not blindly trusting the dashboard or the seam solution to uh, trigger on it. Because we whine and complain about false positives, but the false negatives are much more dangerous when there's evil and badness there and you're totally unaware, you're blind to it. Yes, I mean, on a day-to-day, you would, you would, I think we must do a day in the life of John Hammond. That'd, that'd be a good one. <laughs> that'd be but very like, boring. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so. Um, so you, like during the day, you, you, would, you would get alerts. Um, obviously there's like, I'm assuming there's some kind of like team that's um, checking all the alerts coming in. Um, but you'll also go and like look for weird stuff, perhaps on the internet or on your customers' computers to try and see if you can find something. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, we do take input and intel from other sources, right? So when I talked about those antivirus products like Windows Defender or XYZ, name your, name your AV tool of choice, uh, that will still tip you off. Uh, so when you, you can let preventive security still kind of help augment and, and help supply for your detection, your detective security. Um, they all kind of go hand in hand, but uh, I think it is still vital and absolutely necessary that you on your own, you keep track of the threat 
intelligence, you keep track of the indicators of compromise and go hunt and go look. So, John, before I get this thought out of my head, can you tell me like, okay, I'm interested in becoming like you. I want a job like yours. Is there, um, you, you've mentioned CTF, stuff like that. Um, uh, what kind of skills, like let's say you were looking to employ a, a new person that was doing like kind of what you're doing. Um, what kind of things are you looking for? So what should that person do to put on their resume as an example to to be more likely to get a job doing what you're doing? Yeah. So there are, there are elements that I'll say that that make me sound like a broken record because I no, say no, no, it all the time. No, 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 that's fine. No, it's important. Um, and uh, and there might be some new other other elements to pour in here. In the case of malware analysis, in the case of incident response, in the case of threat intelligence, um, yes, you still should study and you should put it out and you should document it and give it to the world. Have the website, have the blog, have the GitHub, have the articles, videos, and YouTube, etc. Uh, be present, be in the community, talk, etc. Go to conferences more and more and more. Everything I've said prior, but. For malware analysis, it's not strictly playing CTFs and try hack me and hack the box. Yes, you need those and they'll supplement. And again, it's an iterative process if you need to bounce back to them. So you but would put that on your resume, yeah? That you've I done would, C- personally. Yeah. If it's something that you're proud of, if you're like, hey, man, I'm in the top 100 for my country or something, or I'm the top 10 in the world, like a sweet, <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, sing those prizes. Uh, for malware analysis, maybe you want a little bit more. Maybe you want to go look at those samples like on VX Underground, like on the Malware Bazaar. Um, Now, I have to caution this uh, with the point that you mentioned earlier. You need to be careful. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, I I live on the edge, maybe. I'll I'll try and curl (laughs) down. I'll, I'll go see if I can access that weird endpoint or URL that the payload reaches out to. Maybe I'll send some traffic that way just to see, hey, what will it do? I'll poke it with a stick. But make sure that you kind of know what you're doing. Uh, Have the proxy, have the VPN, have the virtual machine, have defenses in place, some extensions that make sure you're not falling down a road you shouldn't. Uh, Make sure your antivirus and host isolation stuff is on. Uh, But build out that library, build out that catalog of samples that you've looked through and and stuff that you can showcase and hey, you've written about and you've produced. So I would encourage that to folks that are are wanting to get a little bit more of a a job or career in this. Yes, explore and play with it on your free time and uh, start applying. Like there's no shame in that. I'm gonna push you because that's what I like to do with everyone if I interview. (laughs) So, okay, that's great. So uh, let's say I, I, I I wanna get a job. Now I go into LinkedIn, I search for what? What do I search for? And then what are employees, employers, sorry, gonna be looking for? Um, like, I mean, I mean, you've mentioned like put CTFs there. I could say that I've, I've worked with a whole bunch of malware, but are there any like trigger words like certs or, you know, how, how do I get, which jobs do I look for? Do I just say in malware analysis? Sorry, this is kind of like a long-winded question, but I'm, yeah, trying, yeah, to, yeah. I'm trying to help someone. Like if I wanted to practically go and do this tomorrow, how would I do that? Like, how, what do I search for? What are employers looking for? So LinkedIn, Indeed, Glassdoor, whatever, any of those sites are a an option. Um, if you are looking for malware analysis, you might find that you will look and you'll see a lot that are specifically those compiled binaries, which is, is true, much more genuine reverse engineering. Um, and 
a lot of those, truthfully, are going to be a little bit more government or military or defense contractor stuff, I'll be honest. Uh, because, hey, that's in high demand there. They kind of want to get ahead in that, in that cyber warfare game. Uh, and that's very important in understanding threats in the security landscape is all part of that. So maybe you might, you might have some luck, hey, trying for a, a security clearance or having a little bit of military background in you. That's an option. That's one road to go down. Um, but those keywords, those hot topics, uh, malware analysis, reverse engineering, uh, obfuscation, payload exploit, blah, blah, blah. Try hack me and hack the box are still in the mix without a doubt. But certifications, uh, I think SANS offers one of the um, GREM or GAIAC reverse engineering malware. Uh, and a lot of this is very forensics oriented too. DFIR. Uh, digital forensics and incident response, that's all part of the puzzle. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, if there's no like clear path, that's great. Uh, it's just to try and help someone like, I come from a networking background and it's quite obvious, you know, there's certain stepping stones that you would go f through. And if you were looking for a certain type of job, you'd look for a certain certification. Like um, if I was looking for a job, I would, would I search for like OSCP or um, is it just um, some of the terms that you've used? Uh, like as an example, John, how did you get your job? Was it just because she put your name out there and then someone saw it and, or did you have to go searching? Yeah, I, I hate that I'm never, a, uh, I don't have a great example uh, because my case is, is very strange and very odd. I'm a lucky unicorn. Uh, a lot of it is having the notoriety, the self-notoriety. Um, that that, that my comes boss, from YouTube. That comes from YouTube. That does. Yeah. That comes yeah. from YouTube. Yeah, but there uh, you go. So, I mean, it's like, Put your name out there. Yep. Yeah. My boss reached out and was like, hey, John, you look like you're doing really cool stuff. You want to come party with us? Uh, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that, that'd be a ton of fun. But it, it's funny, you know, it's, um, I, I've interviewed other people and, and they've kind of said the same thing. It's, and I'm a firm believer in that. When I started putting my name out on social media, doors opened. I used to try oh, yeah. and hide it. I mean, you're in the security world. I mean, it's like, you know, if you can put your name out there, then I don't think others need to worry about putting their names out there. Um, so like you, was it through YouTube that you got found? Is that right? Uh, honestly, this is really weird. It's a, it's a story for, for my current job. Um, but others, I can explain it if they might. I mean, be you can, more. you're more than welcome to, sh okay, John, off camera. If you don't want to talk about that, that's fine. But I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to share your story if you, if, yeah. you, if you're okay with it. So I'll go through a couple different phases here. Um, when I was getting out of college, when I was getting out of my schooling and undergraduate, I was looking for my first job. I was looking for my first thing to get my foot in the door to see, Hey, where am I going to land in the market? And it was an interview and, an, uh, uh, a job that I was applying for, for an instructor role for teaching and for, uh, getting interaction with students and going up and doing, doing the song and dance, talking to the PowerPoint. Uh, so I came in the interview with a book, like a binder of look, Hey, Here's the textbook that I wrote when I taught a course at my school because they kind of trusted me with that leadership and explaining and showcasing technical concepts in Linux. Uh, everything that YouTube and everything that being an, a, a present community member has trained me for, that's where you can find my value. Uh, and I can just show that to them. So they're like, hey, I know you're some green kid, like fresh out of college, <laughs> but we totally trust you with this instructor role uh, because you've you've proven that, you've shown that. Uh, and and that was really what I go back to when people ask me like, how, how, how do I get an employer to take a chance on me? 
well, hey, show them like everything that you've done. Uh, and then they'll, they'll really value that. So that's, yeah. that's, that's GitHub. That's YouTube. That's your articles and your blog. That's the way. It's, it's really interesting that you say this because I mean, it's, um, the world's changed dramatically, hasn't it? So in other oh, words, what you've, what you're telling me, and I'm kind of pushing you on this is you telling me, don't worry as much about certifications per se, spend time getting your name in the community, like go on LinkedIn, make connections, um, create blog articles, uh, whatever, create videos, do something, but get known in the community because it's who you know that's more important than perhaps always what you know, even though that is really important. Is that kind of like, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but like kind of, is that kind of correct in, in what I'm saying? Yes, I think it totally is. And I, and I think I can, I can piggyback off that for the conversation of, of my next one. Um, at the job that I'm at currently, <laughs> this is funny, and I think it ties in well to everything that we're talking about. Um, I knew the CEO, I knew my boss two or three years ago before I got started with the company because I, I saw him on the internet. I saw him across the Twitterverse uh, and, and I, and I noticed like, Hey, this guy has a lot of followers. Like this guy's known in the community. This guy, he seems like a cool guy. So I literally reached out and like cold called him and I was like, Hey, Oh, uh, wow. I, I, I'm doing some, like some YouTube stuff. I try to produce content on, on videos and cybersecurity and CTFs. Would, would you mind just like sharing my stuff? Would you mind retweeting it or something? <laughs> and it was so weird. You, but he's you, like, so you literally phoned him, yeah? Yeah, uh, it was a Twitter message. Well, it was genuinely a Twitter oh, okay. message. I, well I might done. be able to go back and find it. Uh, but he's like, hey, John, like this stuff is really cool. You're doing some awesome work. Uh, and then we have strangely known each other across the internet airwaves for two or three years. And and actually, we, we ended up meeting. Uh, he showed me the office at the time because it was a, a startup kind of getting in motion. Uh, about over and over in Maryland in the United States. And we had lunch together. It was cool. It was just like, Hey, bro's hanging out. Uh, two years, three years later, he texts me, Hey man, uh, we just got some funding. Uh, we're doing some pretty kick-ass stuff. I think you are too. You want to come be on this party? Uh, and that's the rest is history, right? I, I love that role. I'm very fulfilled with what I'm doing now, but it, it all comes from being in the community and reaching out and sharing content and knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's really important to emphasize, and I, I, I'm a firm believer in that as well. Um, you know, if I if I wanted to hire someone, and I mean, you tell me if you agree. Let's say you have to hire someone tomorrow. Would you hire someone who's just got a bunch of certs, or would you hire someone who you know, um, who's who you see doing stuff out there? And I think for me personally, you you know, you you want someone with a certain character. Character is really important. Um, you don't want to just hire based on certs. Um, and if you see what they're doing and they're putting out content, far more likely that you're going to pick that person. Yeah, I think we've had a, a conversation just like this in, in kind of our last session, but uh, I, I would certainly opt for that individual that is that is prolific in, in sharing what they're learning and demonstrating that, hey, they're, they're in the grind too. They're wanting to soak up more and more information. Um, Yes, certifications are one piece, but uh, we, we've also had the conversation, hey, some certifications can be a just a brain dump test. They could be rote memorization. You chew it up, spit it out, and that's it. Uh, if, if they're in the mix, if they're in the scene, if they're known in the community and they're, they're producing stuff, uh, I really like to see that. It shows drive and determination. 
And it also can show me what they know and what they can demonstrate and what their merit and competency really is. That's what I'd go for personally. That's fantastic. Okay, John, come show us something else that's interesting. Let's see. Have you got another good example? Sure thing. I can uh, try and and what our appetite again here. So I'm back in that uh, shared network share uh, from my malware folder. I have these kind of used and unused folders where I differentiate what I've already looked through or what I produced a video on, etc. cetera. Uh, so I'll get back into our unused pile and I've showcased that there are a lot of different languages that this might come in. By no means, this is this is all encompassing. Like, sure, we've got C Sharp in there, also compiled stuff, C++, there's Java, there's, it, it goes on and on and on. Um, I showcased just a tiny Python example to kind of get the idea across for obfuscation, but I want to present that in a different way now. Uh, let's move into that batch directory and take a look at one that is obfuscated. Uh, <laughs> I guess this file's <laughs> named Spooky. Um, so I will open this up in a text editor, and I don't know if folks are familiar with the Windows batch script, but that's that command prompt. That's that spare, that's, that's that big black box, right? Where you can type in commands and have more finer control over what your computer is doing. But you can script that. You can automate some of those commands that it might be running. So again, maybe you look at this and, hey, this makes complete sense. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> or it doesn't. And this is where those bad guys are going to use clever tricks where they're going to have something up their sleeve where they understand how the language, how the computer, like the scripting language itself will be interpreted and read. Uh, sure, it'll, it'll clear the screen. That one's known to us. It'll turn off the display of commands, use some delayed variable expansion, uh, extension, and it will set a lot of variables. Set is kind of the syntax and keyword to define a variable in batch here. But you'll notice that this variable is set to nothing. <laughs> so they might just use this whole random weird string to, I don't know, get in the way of, of other things. They'll loop through some stuff with randomness in the mix, dividing things, and then they'll start to define different chunks of some weird variable name being simply set to letters of the alphabet. <laughs> So later on in the code, they can go ahead and put this together uh, and build out a payload one character at a time with randomness all throughout it. So the final payload might make no sense. It might be completely intelligible. But you might be able to see fragments of, oh, uh, a program data or a path in here. And... Oh, I see some extensions of a dump files or exe and zip files that might be kind of referred to eventually. Uh, and then we start to break up, looks like a, a URL, HTTP, HTTPS going to some weird Amazon S3 bucket where they're reaching for an image file. Kind of strange. But then they'll invoke PowerShell where they'll hide the window um, let me turn on word wrap here. And we have this chunk of inline PowerShell code. And we might need to start to figure out, okay, how does that do what it does? Um, I will go ahead and put this into a PowerShell thing. So some videos that you might see on my channel are either me trying to understand what code might be doing through a 
like beautifier, some online tool or some utility that might be able to display this code in a little bit more readable sense. Or I might go through it manually to try and understand what's happening where and just make this more readable and understandable for me. Some of these variable names that are being pulled in came from that script previously. And if we end up downloading something like that strange PNG file, what if that's not really an image file? What if they pull it down and it turns out it's just going to be more PowerShell code that's evaluated and executed on the fly? So I realize, yeah, there are still some weird variables in, in here and it's still hard to read, but this is certainly much easier to look at than this, in my opinion. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh definitely. So again, that's uh, really kind of what I wanted to offer and showcase here. I don't need to go through a ton of this for this video. If you're interested in that, check out some of the stuff on my channel. But these techniques of hiding things within variables Sometimes threat actors have even hidden the set command itself. Um, that I think was a well-known trick in uh, TrickBot, right? One of, the, one of the other larger malware families between TrickBot and Emotet. TrickBot has certainly done some other uh, clever stuff with the language here in Batch to hide that stager or that initial payload. How many languages do you know? I mean, I, rem I remember you said Python was like your core one. Is that right? Yeah, I, again, I, I wouldn't say that I'm fluent uh, in in much anything other than than Python. Um, but but you, can can, you can interpret what you're seeing there, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you'll get familiar, you'll pick up the syntax. At the end of the day, a lot of it is uh, the same concepts, right? The programming concepts of logic, variables, functions, and flow. Those are, those are really what you'll get exposed to. But John, tell me, is it by osmosis that you learn this stuff or is it just like but through ctfs you kind of like you just get a feel for you know what's good what's bad code how do you is it like bad code is like weirdness whereas normal code wouldn't look like that so i mean if i was looking at something on a on a computer how on earth would i know if it's good or bad you're totally right uh that is a hard call to make um because some languages, like okay, maybe JavaScript is a fine example. They'll they'll minify or compress and pack the code just so it's smaller, just so it can run faster and be optimized and efficient. Uh, so maybe the randomness that you see isn't a definitive like litmus test for what's good or bad. Uh, if you find some telltales of known dangerous functions like eval or execute or, I don't know, uh, invoke expression, assembly load, add type, etc. Those, those will have uh, some other side effects of just executing code on the fly. Uh, that can be bad. Uh, I might be able to pivot to a, another more real-world and tangible uh, example of that, if, if that's okay to yeah. discuss that. Sure. But, uh, sweet. Okay. Uh, I wanted to showcase maybe something a little bit more real-world or maybe something a little bit more tangible to some folks, because we talk all the time about like office macros, or oh, you get an email attachment, yep. oh, it's a yep. weird Word document, or it's yep. a weird Excel file. So I, I, I'll showcase this one that was sent along. Um, it is an XLSM file, or an Excel file, and there's another one dot, dot doc. Uh, so you could open this up, 
in Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel and you'll get those pop-ups like, hey, content has been temporarily disabled uh, for security. Do you want to enable content? Of course I do. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> A thousand percent. Well, the moment you do that, the moment you click on, yeah, totally, let's run this thing. <laughs> Let these security macros go. There are functions and hooks set up to do damaging stuff, depending on what it is. Maybe it could be totally innocent, but you'll have to look. Yes, you can look in Microsoft Word, in Microsoft uh, Excel and Office, but hey, you're, you're kind of rolling the dice and gambling a little bit there. Again, I'm in Linux right now, so I'll use a tool, uh, I think it's OLE VBA, and uh, that way we can kind of take a look at what is inside these files. So I, I mentioned this because OLE VBA actually does a really good job of giving you kind of a description of what it found and what's weird in here. Ooh, we saw the run syntax and maybe that means it'll run some other program or like a command like Dell C Windows System 32 to delete everything. And, or maybe it'll load in a library or download files. Uh, it's encoding stuff with hexadecimal or base 64. Base 64, a good tie-in as we talked about in Pico CTF. Yeah. And if we scroll up here, if we take a look more through uh, what OLE VBA kind of displayed for us, we can see the real syntax. We can see everything that's defined in these macros without opening it and, and kind of living on the edge there in, in Microsoft Office. So I will bring that into an editor so it's a little bit easier to read. I don't know if there is a good syntax for it. Yeah, decent. This one's really interesting. Um, because it will pull in functionality and code from like the Windows API. So the, the URL mon DLL or that library that exists on your computers has other functions that languages like Visual Basic Script or JScript or PowerShell and C Sharp can hook into and latch onto. So this will pull in that URL download to file function and we'll start to see some weird syntax <laughs> defining functions maybe pulling some data out of actual cells maybe defining that excel document or starting to prepare a download again i see this next orders function it'll take in an argument where it's trying to be stealthy it's trying to hide it, it breaks up that https schema and then we could explore this more and more and more. We could try and make sense of these random function names, but time bars and vmol a, well, hey, again, those are just things to look innocent. So an automated tool might not be able to see the evil in this. But this one I don't think actually has the auto open call. Let me showcase the other one. This is the example here. Right when you open and click on that enable content and enable editing, the auto exec document open will will just totally kickstart and evaluate and run that code. Wow. So that's a neat tool and you can pull out <laughs> all of the strange code that they might be burying in that macro. That's great. I know it looks like a lot of noise, but it's fun to uh, explore and, and try and make sense of. Yeah, so let, let me ask you some more questions, John. Um, yeah. 
do you think it's a great career for someone to get into? Um, is it like is there a lot of, are there a lot of jobs? And I'm assuming the answer is yes. Yes, in 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 my opinion, it's fulfilling. It's a ton of fun. It's really cool to see real world stuff, um, especially when you have those spooky, scary conversations about oh, Microsoft Exchange got hacked. The, the sky's falling. Or, yeah. Solar winds got hacked. Oh my goodness! What is the security industry going to do? Hey, those threat intelligence researchers, those malware analysts, we're the best line of defense because we can educate the community. We can look for those indicators of compromise, and that's in high demand, right? How does the world respond to <laughs> like fires like this, dumpster fires when <laughs> something new got popped? There's a Chrome zero day or whatever. What? what is going on? How can we make sense of it? So uh, I, I absolutely think, yeah, this, it's, it's certainly a great job and there's definitely a demand for it. And do you work normal working hours or is it like when something go, blows up like the solar winds thing, now it's all hands on deck and you have to work like 24 seven type thing? Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> the best answer is yeah, uh, we absolutely, I mean, I have normal working hours. Uh, we work as, as kind of a remote gig, which is lovely. Um, pre-pandemic, pre-world falling apart. Uh, it is always and will always be remote for kind of what I do. But when an ambulance goes by, we have to chase it, whether it's nine in the morning or nine at night. Uh, for Microsoft Exchange specifically, uh, yeah, that, those were many late nights uh, burning, the, burning the candle at both ends. Maybe we're up to like three or four in the morning. But it's very cool to be with a team of other smart fellows and, and folks that want to get into the code like this. So that is, is certainly something that uh, is still worthwhile and a lot of fun if you're a nerd like me. <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. So uh, do you have any books? I mean, you, you, when you mentioned in another video, you said you, you wrote a book and that's how you got your first job. But are there any books that you would recommend, like a malware analysis book or any like recommended books that someone can buy from Amazon or whatever to you try and get into this? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could give a, a one-size-fits-all answer uh, as, as well, usual. I mean, do you have like five books or like a range of books? Yeah. And again, it totally depends if you want to get into like the low-level binary analysis. So you can find an Ida Pro book from No Starch Press. Um, there are a ton that come out from uh, O'Reilly and, and Wiley. Those are all great. And, and sometimes it's even just getting used to the, the syntax um, and the language constructs. Kind of, kind of, again, as I've showcased in Batch and in Python and many others that we can get into. Those are specific to how does this program language work and what are they reading in, at, out of that? Uh, I have a ton of O'Reilly pocket references <laughs> where I'll try and you know get, get used to the, hey, what can I do in this language? Other things that are more adversarial or offense oriented, there's a, there's a no starch press book, I think called a off, offensive go or, or black hat go. Those yes. are great for kind of getting used to, Hey, what can you do in some language? It's very hard to reverse. Yeah. I've, I've got my sample in the back there or my book. Yeah. John, so if you can send us a list of like books that you think are worth looking at, I mean, as long as it's not a thousand books. <laughs> like your your top 10 books or something like that, uh, that that would be great. For sure. John, as always, really want to thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been a blast. Uh, I hope there are some good gold nuggets out of there for, for some folks. If, and if you're interested again in all this, uh, I'd happy to chat about it more. 
Oh, definitely, definitely. Going to twist your arm to come back a lot more. 